I do drag as Carla because I want someone who walks down the road and sees her randomly to be as confused by her as I used to feel about myself, you know? Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, a production of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be speaking with performer and writer Anthony Hudson, also known as Portland's premier drag clown. Yeah, don't worry, I'd never heard the term either. And as you've probably guessed, the title is a little tongue-in-cheek. The reason he's Portland's premier drag clown is because he's Portland's only drag clown. In fact, he may well be the country's only drag clown. As his alter ego, Carlo Rossi, Anthony has delighted and terrified Portland audiences in equal measure for over 12 years, performing carefully honed satire in a variety of venues, including the Portland Institute of Contemporary Art. By the way, I should make it clear that we're speaking of Portland, Oregon, not Portland from the lovely state of Maine. So at Portland's historic Hollywood theater, Anthony programs, and Carlo Rossi hosts, Queer Horror, the only LGBT horror screening and performance series in the country. Anthony's also a fellow podcaster. Along with writer Stacy Ponder, he co-hosts the queer feminist horror podcast, Gay Lords of Darkness. He is a member of the Confederated Grand Ronde Tribes, Silettes, and recently he was one of four indigenous artists to present work in an exhibit titled Always Here at the Art Center in Corvallis, Oregon. In the exhibit, he and his fellow artists separately and collaboratively created conceptual pieces that upended perceptions of what Native art can or should be. Anthony's also written the solo autobiographical play Looking for Tiger Lily, which he's performed in theaters all over the country and has toured internationally from Melbourne to Vancouver. He's currently adapting the play into a book. I started off by making sure I clearly understood a key term for the interview. What is a drag clown? And how is a drag clown different from a drag queen? Oh, great question. So this is actually something that came up because I was talking with Remy Barrett, who's a French academic who's studying drag clowns. And he pointed out to me that in the last like 10 years, he's been focusing on drag clowns, but he had never seen the term before he had encountered my work. Which makes me curious. I'm like, did I actually coin this term? (laughs) Because I started performing as Carla in 2010. And for me, my attraction to drag was always not in the idea of female impersonation, but in the idea of just like kind of miscellany of a assemblage of different gender options and manners and behaviors. I wanted to really challenge and kind of hack the idea of drag and follow in the footsteps of some people that, you know, I think use drag more in terms of like gender fuck really was the term that I kind of came up with around 2010 in Portland with the drag that was happening here where it was messy. It was, it was it's not how you expect it to look. It's the kind of thing where I've always said, you know, through my mixed identities, I've always said that like Carla, for me, she's, she's my way of kind of expressing that sense of confusion and mixture that I have and that people apply when they try to figure out who I am or what I am. Like, I do drag as Carla because I want someone who walks down the road and sees her randomly to be as confused by her as I used to feel about myself, you know? So 
So for me, it's it's like there's drag clown. There's still an element of reference to drag queen. I still am okay if I get called that. But it's definitely more an act of an intentional act of clowning and of really playing with the idea of drag versus adhering to the kind of uh, show woman, show queen pageant sort of Vegas idea of you know, what you see in Tu Wong Fu and Some Like It Hot in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, like RuPaul's Drag Race. It's not, it's not pretty. <laughs> and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be anything I'm not. I'm only trying to be every potential I could be <laughs> and laugh at the same time. <laughs> Tell us what is Carla Rossi's, Rossi, I should know how to pronounce it in Italian, Carla Rossi's <laughs> <laughs> origin story. Oh, there's several. So, I mean, her origin story is what? She was born from the primordial stew, uh, <laughs> came slithering out in, in an intro, not unlike the opening sequence to Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, she got in a fight with some monkeys. <laughs> no, um, I like to think of Carla as an immortal trickster spirit that has existed throughout time that is just there to haunt and taunt humanity <laughs> at to her every whim. And in terms of Carla, for me, the origin story was I had always wanted to do drag. I'd always wanted to perform. I wanted to act. I wanted to sing. I wanted to do stand up. I, I grew up watching like Robin Williams and, you know, watching Looney Tunes and I loved voices and voice acting. And I, I loved doing impersonations and I also wanted to do theater. I wanted to direct. I wanted to write. I did so many different things. I also drew. Drawing was a, a primary medium of mine for the first like 20 years of my life. And I'd always wanted to do all these things, but I never really knew what is the outlet. And I think society capitalism tells you that you have to be one thing. You know, you have to be one easily identifiable, boxable, marketable thing that can be categorized and then sold. <laughs> and actually, it was in 2010. No, it was before 2010. It was around 2008, 2009. I met Jinx Monsoon here in Portland, winner of Drag Race. She just won it a second time. <laughs> and she was a Portland girl back then, and, and her drag looked much different. This was a couple years before she got on Drag Race. And we started hanging out and I just kept going to her shows, show after show after show. And I saw a person that was doing all those things that I'd always wanted to do. And after I had a relationship that kind of fell apart, partially in thanks to, uh, with thanks to Jinx, <laughs> it was a relationship that needed to fall apart. I kind of just had this explosion and I had been living a small, I guess what I would call a small life. I had been moving away from my hometown, from this little small town that was just kind of connected to the state capital to Salem. I was, I was from Kaiser, Oregon, but moving from there to Portland and challenging myself to go to art school, I still was coming with the trauma of growing up in a small town and getting death threats and mm. being one of the only out queer kids. And I think I lived in hiding. I, I just kind of scale along walls in the hopes that no one could see me or threaten me. I, I worked at the mall at Bath and Body Works and didn't do anything else instead of going to art school like I always planned. So, Oh, this was once you got to Portland. This was once I got to Portland. Sorry, I went, I went out of chronology. And, and it was actually when I was, after I had been there for some time that I met Jinx. And then that explosion came out of that where I, I then went to art school. I started doing drag. I started going out to parties. I started performing with a friend and we would paint ourselves white. And we would put on these different voices and we would act like different people. 
And, you know, all of this. So you were already experimenting with masks, basically. Yes. Yes, it was. And I didn't know it at the time. I thought this was just a fun way of putting on some kind of special armor, some temporary armor that I didn't even understand was armor and just going out. It was a means to go out and to not be the person that I had been for so long. And then one of our first nights out on the town, we jumped on stage in drag and whiteface during a performance at PICA, the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art, during a performance at their time-based art festival that happens every year. This is something I would never do today. Well, would I? Maybe. But (laughs) something I would not advocate today. And yet we did it. And then they asked us to come back the next night. And then people started asking us to come do shows and to show up at their parties and we kind of became club kids for a while. And this was sort of towards the end of the club kid movement, if they still even have club kids. And next thing I knew, it turned into this persona, what what I used to think of as a persona, which I now understand as, you know, a more evolved form of myself, a more ultimate form of myself. How long did it take for you to realize that? You said that you, you initially it was about kind of denying the person you had been. What, I, what point did you realize, oh, this is the person I was, th- this is the fullness of what I was meant to be? You know, that uh, this has only been a realization that I have begun to let exist in my brain as something real. This is only something that I've been, I've been understanding in that way for the last just couple of years, really. Like since I think it was in 2016, I made my solo show Looking for Tiger Lily, which was the first time I performed as myself. And that was after performing relatively anonymously as Carla for five years. And while playing this like horrible Karen from Lake Oswego, Oregon, like I I would start to hear well-meaning Portlanders kind of boo me. And I realized, oh, people don't know who I am yet. And that's why they don't understand why I'm like pretending to be this horrible racist white woman. So I realized I needed to make a show about who I am really and why I'm performing as her. And it wasn't until I did Tiger Lily that I began to really understand like she is me and this is a this is a whole aspect of how I interface with myself culturally, sexually, publicly. Uh, this is a means for me to experiment and negotiate and to wear all these facets of myself. However, my partner would tell you because he started dating me in 2010 at the same time as Carla was born. So really wow, that is a tall order. <laughs> don't know. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how he's with me. I don't know how we stayed together. I mean, this would be like, he had so many clear outs in, that, in those first couple of months there, first couple of years. But he would always tease me because I would say like, no, you know, Carla's just a project. I thought I was this cool, you know, drunk art student. And I thought I was like, I was doing like this massive, incredible spectacle art and I was challenging expectations. And like, I thought it was just a project. And he would laugh at me like on dates and he'd be like, no, she's you. (laughs) And and I fought that for years. and But ultimately it came back to bite me as the pure truth. <laughs> I am not ex- an expert in, in uh, drag culture, but I, I'm, I'm guessing there's not that many drag performers who have an indigenous background, or I could be wrong. Could you talk about that? Yeah. About how your indigenous could, because you're half German, half indigenous is my understanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. My mom is German and they're, uh, they're German immigrants from, uh, actually, I mean, they left Germany, went to essentially Ukraine and then came to over to the States to Kansas and then to, to Oregon to the same town my dad was growing up. 
in the 1900s. My mom ended up in Oregon about 1950. And my dad also, you know, he grew up at the Shamawa Indian School, which is not far, far from where my mom moved to Kaiser, Oregon. And his mom was a dormitory matron there. And he was, he had, his father was a member of the Confederate Tribes of Grand Round. Although, you know, those, that didn't happen until like the 80s when tribes were restored. And his mother is Salette. So I have this mixed inheritance. And that was fascinating for me to come to understand, to, to see myself different from other people while also looking like a lot of the people that I'm different from growing up in a weird, small, methy Mormon town. And so for me, like, I I think it was pretty early into performing as Carla that I began to, I started having dreams where I was painting myself white like her, but I wasn't getting white enough. I couldn't get coverage. I would still see through it. And I was like, huh, well, that sounds like a heavy handed metaphor. (laughs) And and I realized over that time, as I began to bring her into school, because my teachers at art school would be like, okay, well you're supposed to be an illustration major, but you're sleeping on all of your finals and you're waking, you're coming to class late with makeup in your hair, what's going on. And then they challenged me to bring that work into school. And then I started. Because even I have to say graphically, Carla is fascinating. Oh yeah. She's, you can see she looks like she, she fell face forward in a Juan Miro painting. Yes. (laughs) I love that. She did. And she didn't, she didn't pay for the damages. She she ran away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I could, I mean like that, that like the kind of bold illustrative lines that I would draw, like that fully comes through in Carla's face, you know, also my love for goth and Susie Sue and (laughs) comes through in her face. But I realized as I was like working on it that, yeah, this is a place where I can, I can interface with like all these aspects of me and with also what it means for me to be a queer person who's also indigenous. So when I came out, you know, when I first came out to my parents, my dad took me aside and he was like, you know, this is sacred and this is actually a normal thing. Right. And I was like, what? And he's like, you're a two spirit. And I had never heard that term. And I was an incredibly lucky 14-year-old where that's the conversation I get with my father. Um, He was extremely accepting, extremely loving. He came prepared. He brought me an academic paper that one of his friends, who was a (laughs) professor on Native Studies, one of his friends had a student turn in a paper on Two-Spirit. And so he got that from his friend and gave it to me. And he really helped educate me as to who I am. I, you know, I learned what it meant to be gay on AOL before that. And then he taught me what it means to be two-spirit. Did he introduce you? Did he know any two-spirit people in the town or in, in his culture? No, no, not that, not that I knew of. I mean, I had like a cousin in the tribe who was gay. And then on my mom's side, I had an, my uncle, my uncle Joe, who was the very first person I came out to when I was 13 um, or 12. Uh, but other than that, like, I didn't really know any people in my life except for my uncle and, and my cousin, Brenda. But over time, like, as and in school, I realized, like, two-spirit. Like, I, I kind of, I regret, I resented the idea of a binary. <laughs> and that's kind of how I read, too, was the idea that one has male and female spirits. But you can look at it as multiplicity, too. Over time, I began to understand that Carla was my way I've never been one for like, I've never been, I've been too shy to go actually like commit to like powwow dancing or get regalia. And over time I understood, and something my dad said to me was like, when I was complaining about how I didn't know any of our traditions, he said, well, this is traditional for you. And I began to understand that Carla was my way of honoring all of myself as a two-spirit person. She is my way of walking between worlds. I, I think drag in general has kind of a, 
a correlation to priestessing or to to shamans, to medicine people, to healers. Like these are people that put on regalia and and offer teachings, oral history, storytelling. They offer this to their people and they bring community together. And I, I think drag does a similar thing to medicine people in that way. Do you think Carla as a character moves the needle at all on indigenous representation? Have you ever performed her in front of a largely native audience? Oh yes. And that is my favorite thing to do. It is. Tell me what, tell me how it goes. It is so exciting. So uh, I can think about like when I do looking for tiger Lily, the solo show by myself, uh, well, I guess the solo show is by myself, but when I do, I guess that's kind of a Freudian slip. I was going to say when I do it for all whites audience, but it feels like I'm performing it by myself for an empty (laughs) (laughs) because there is that thing where like you know arts audiences and we're trained this is we're taught to do this arts audiences predominantly white arts audiences sit down and are like quiet anthropological we watch this like we watch it to not we don't want to disturb anything (laughs) and and we we play the role expected of us uh we're going to just be passive observers Every now and then, like when I'm performing it, I'll hear somebody go, oh, mm. <laughs> and that's like, that's about it. But the show is a comedy. And often when I perform it, it is met with very little laughs, even though I know the show is funny. Uh, but I think there's a question of, do I have permission to laugh at this? Culturally, do I understand why this is funny? I think those questions come up. But when I perform the show for an all native audience, when I've, I've done this at Dartmouth, uh, with a, primar- a night of primarily Native youth. I've done this in Vancouver, Canada. I've done this at the Talking Stick Festival. I've done this with Indigenous folks in in Melbourne and at the Yurimboy Festival in Australia. And when I perform it for Indigenous folks, like it is met with hooting and hollering, laughter, like nonstop laughter. I've always said the best, the best laughs you hear on the res, uh, nonstop laughter. And people like talk to me and talk back and like respond as I'm telling these stories. And that is how the show is meant to be experienced. Like when I come out and start performing long, when I say, all I really want in this life is to be a sad, pretty little rich girl. And then I come back out on stage and I perform a Lana Del Rey number, the audience goes nuts and everyone starts like snapping. And we, cause this is another secret about native peoples. We all love Lana Del Rey, regardless of her wearing that war bonnet. <laughs> and like, it's just people lose their minds and it is, that's how the show's meant to be experienced. So when I perform as Carla for a native audience, cause that show's primarily Anthony, but when it's Carla, it is, it is, absolute hysteria it's black friday at walmart it is so fun and so life-giving and uh this is one of the main reasons i love performing also for native youth and like for two-spirit groups and clubs at schools like it is so empowering and also like they are just as as salty as carla is and so they will also critique me they'll talk shit they make me laugh and it is just there's less of a putting the performer up on a pedestal and looking at them as an object from afar and more like you're part of my community and now let's make this interactive clown <laughs> and, and i love it now clowns especially you know satirical clowns like the kind of work that you do can talk about scary stuff as i'm sure you do <laughs> what what is the scariest thing carla or anthony either of you has ever done or tackled huh <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. So I am, a, I am 
the hostess of Queer Horror, Portland, Oregon's premier <laughs> horror screening series and performance series, uh, where we do one acts before a horror movie that's, that has a queer bent to it. Oh, so b- before each screening, there is a written one act that yes. is performed? I see. Yes, it's, it's basically... It's like our Saturday Night Live kind of crossed with like church. It, it's just, it's church for people. I've heard so many people say that and it's church for me and I get to be the high priestess. It's my favorite thing to do. It's, I think it's a, it's been called a goddamn Portland treasure by the Portland Mercury, one of our weeklies here. It's really special. That said, like horror, so horror does show up in my work, but really like queer horror is a special project. Like that's horror is my hobby and not as much my art form (laughs) it comes up in it but but getting to do that show is carla i get to add to her hat she gets to also be a horror hostess in the style of elvira or peaches christ or when when i get to host that show so it's really fun but in terms of actual horror actual what is the scariest thing i've done i actually think it's something that i did really recently so in 2000, I think it was 2017, 2018, at some point in within those years, I performed a drag queen story time in Portland. It was the most, it was the highest attended drag queen story time they had. They had a hundred kids there. They had standing room only, people out the door. It was a blast. Afterwards, we had a, sh- a dance party on bubble wrap to share. <laughs> The librarians came up with this idea of this bubble wrap. They covered an entire room in a fl- in a floor or an uh, entire floor in a room with bubble wrap. Put on share because I requested a share because share is like my power my power queen. So I requested a share mixtape, Spotify. That's what it is. I'm I'm so old. It's not a mixtape. <laughs> so then <laughs> we're having a great time. We're dancing on bubble wrap. The kids push me over and they jump on me. This library takes the cutest picture in the world of these kids just like crushing me. And then we post it. And then next thing we know, like like the state of Oregon burning down in a summer, all of a sudden it's wildfire and it is on every conservative media outlet. And there is story after story after story after story after story about calling me a pedophile, calling me an abuser, a groomer. Here's this drag queen fondling these children. I made the front page of Breitbart. Wow. Breitbart. <laughs> Breitbart, actually, I didn't notice this until I was working on a video about this. Breitbart, uh, their headline was, Library removes photo of children fondling drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> And I was so like, in fact, well, you are the victim, apparently. That's what I said. I was like, well, there you have it. You just said it yourselves. I'm the victim. <laughs> so, so, but I mean, it was it was horrific to see the way that these people manipulated and abused and twisted this image and exploited these children and misgendered and honestly dragged my name through the mud with slurs. Like it was it was there was one one article that I actually saved this headline because I loved it so much. It said, any minute now we'll see a headline that says, Tranny Clown opens portal and sucks children into another dimension. <gasps> like, it oh my was, God, can you make that movie? Right? I'm like, please, call Roger Corman. <laughs> I need this to happen. But it was just, it was just grotesque and awful. People, I don't think people understand that Drag is an occupational hazard. Uh, just the act of doing it. When I went out to do the art museum gig recently to do that workshop again after after not having been able to do it during the pandemic, 
I went out or the thick of the pandemic, I went down there and I, before I even could get into the building, I had to call them and be like, okay, I'm parking my car, come meet me and walk me in. Before I used to just walk from my house down to a a gig and I don't, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's, it's not safe. So let's talk about this at this moment in your artistic life, given what is going on. How do you think your, your art is going to accommodate this? I mean, clearly you're being more careful, but how, how do you think that's going to change your artistry? Honestly, I'm being more careful in, I'm being more careful around the show. I'm being more careful in my, my Anthony life, but Carla is only becoming more toxic. (laughs) She's becoming more incendiary. She's, she's putting herself on the cross and screaming awful things at white people. She's, she's sitting on a plunger while a Breitbart headline (laughs) points out like the awful things that she's been involved with. She is so unapologetic, so in your face, so loud, so bitter. That last show that I did, Carla Rossi does drag. My, my best friend came to it and said, I have never seen you do anything like that. I loved it. You were so bitter. And I, 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 in that moment, I was like, I did it. (laughs) I've, I've honed in on what I want to do. I want to, Carla is the place where I get to wear my feelings uh, as someone that has to put on a nice face, that has to sell my art, that has to try to get booked, that, that has to also code switch and appeal to people. And sometimes throughout my career, I've had to demean myself. I've had to make myself smaller. I've had to try to fit into spaces that weren't designed to fit me, you know? And Carla is just the inverse of that, where she is now occupying all the space that I never felt safe to occupy. (laughs) I think, you know, it's, there's a psychological thing there. She's what I do instead of therapy, uh, which isn't good, but like... (laughs) When all of this is going on in the world, she is just going to become that much more empowered. <laughs> and I, I'm grateful for that. Do you have a big picture project? Like in the next 10 years, you're kind of dreaming in the back of your head? or In addition to adapting Looking for Tiger Lily into a memoir, I've been working on that for, for the, this last year. While I was working on that, I started to research queer indigenous histories within our region, and I found some incredible material and then I started working with my friend Felix, who had also been researching this these histories for the last several years. And now we're working on creating a, an exhibit collecting basically all of our research and our findings. And it's an exhibit honoring, in particular, one queer indigenous ancestor that we have that was a Tualatin Kalapuya doctor. And so that's premiering ideally within the coming years. And we'll, we want to work on a group art show and all these other aspects to go so along the, with it. So the museum's committed to it? Yes, yes. That's we are, and where's the museum? Uh, in Grand Round, the Chichalu Wow, Chichalu so that is, that is not something they would have agreed to necessarily 15, 10 years ago, maybe. that's It feels I like mean, a big it, deal, isn't it? It feels massive. And every person we talk to about it is like, this feels massive. The museum themselves, they're like, this feels massive. We, we all... It, it just feels like now is the time. And I think, you know, even with even Chichalu, just looking at, you know, we're, we've been ap- applying for different funding opportunities to help make it even bigger and more possible. And something they pointed out is like in this era, especially, you know, when we're looking at trans people and drag performers being attacked and legislated against, like, it's really important that we understand that this is traditional for us. And this is something that's sacred for us. And the belief that 
queer people aren't part of community comes from settlers, that comes from capitalism, that comes from assimilation. That's not part of our value. And now we have a example of a an ancestor, an elder from 1800s who lived on the res, who was respected by her community and gendered and with the correct pronouns. And it's it's massive. If you'd like to learn more about Anthony, and of course, Carla, and read a longer version of this interview, please head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. And if you're a horror freak like me, my little secret, find Gay Lords of Darkness on your podcast app and hear Anthony and Stacy rave and gripe about horror movies past and present. We really depend on word of mouth to gain new listeners, so if you enjoyed this or any of our episodes, won't you please tell a friend or send them the link to your favorite interview? I would love that. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Whom would you like to see us profile? You can find me on Instagram at PCTalenti. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening. <laughs>